Well, when it comes to conference realignment, Notre Dame is the biggest fish hanging out in the ocean of teams, and the Pac-12 should be keeping a watchful eye. Our Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pac-12. I am your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with our media rights-free and beloved conference of champions. Like, comment, subscribe, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show, which is absolutely, positively jam-packed today with all sorts of questions and topics to get to. If I sound like ever so slightly different with my voice. I was at a wedding last night and we had a good time. So this question came in from Nodak Millsap 81. You can always be a part of the mailbag, YouTube comments, or hit me up on Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at LO underscore pac 12 with the playoff structure and Notre Dame not being able to get a buy currently. Do you see them jumping to a conference? ACC is probably no because of TV deal, and I don't see Notre Dame choosing Big Ten because they won't want to be third every year. Could they go to the Pac-12, and that would give Peacock a leg up on the Pac-12 deal? Okay, so first of all, let's state the obvious. Notre Dame would be welcomed with the most open of arms into the Pac-12. Let's state the next obvious thing here. That is not going to happen. So Notre Dame is, is so unique and fascinating. I remember last year, might have been the year before, I don't remember, but I watched this college football documentary. And if you have ESPN Plus, you can go watch it. It's called The American Game. There are like nine episodes. It's it's fascinating. And Notre Dame has their own episode. It's an entire 45-minute documentary piece about Notre Dame and where they fit into the history of college football. And What's interesting about Notre Dame is that there's nobody else like them. There are other independent schools. There have been other independent schools before. There are currently independent football schools, but none of them are like Notre Dame. And what's so interesting about them is that they are the only team that is desired by conferences and they're saying no rather than a school wanting a conference. Oregon and Washington to the Big Ten, perhaps, and the conferences saying, no, thank you. These are completely different situations. And Notre Dame is the only school that I'm aware of that says, no, thank you to joining a conference. And they can do that because they have the power. They have the power as an institution, as a brand to say, we don't feel like we need a conference. Now, I agree with with the point that you made here, my man that the ACC seems like a very sticky, messy situation right now. And it's a very, it's a very, very messy situation right now. Uh, I have to talk about that more on tomorrow's show. But the the fascinating thing with Notre Dame and how this ties into the Pac-12 is if, and I think when Notre Dame decides, I don't know when that'll be, but I don't think Notre Dame in 20 years is going to be free from a conference. But if and hope and and probably when Notre Dame joins a conference, it is in all likelihood going to be the Big Ten. Technically, it could be the SEC. I don't see it. They are in the middle of Big Ten country. They're a big academic school. Like they fit in the Big Ten perfectly. Now, 
Once that happens, right, and again, there's no telling as to when that'll be because Notre Dame would have to kind of break and say, okay, fine, well, yeah, we, we want to join a conference here. The next question becomes who gets paired with them? I have long held the thought, and I continue to think that Stanford is a school that the Big Ten would consider. I don't think they would go further than that, but I wonder if they wouldn't at least look at Stanford and say, is that somebody we want to pair with them? Because Stanford, of course, in more ways than one, is a fit in the Big Ten. Stanford is not tied uh, to Cal directly, and they could still you know, play in non-conference rivalry. Stanford does have a history with Notre Dame, and the Big Ten would be able to expand their West Coast pod, which currently just has USC and UCLA in it. So I could see that taking place. But again, the timeline here is what's impossible to know. It doesn't feel like a move is imminent there for Notre Dame. But when that eventually happens, I think you're going to see ripple effects one way or another towards the Pac-12, which is why I'm talking about them on the show today, because they are so immensely valuable and are such a big television draw and any conference would want them, right? I mean, they're in the ACC for basketball, but they're independent for football and football is what matters more than anything else. And it's not particularly close. And Notre Dame is just sitting out there able to join whatever conference they want whenever they want. And I don't think there's another school like that that I'm aware of in the entire country. I mean, they could probably go to the SEC if they wanted to, and the SEC would probably take them because the SEC is about creating a television product, and Notre Dame is a big-time television product. So, yeah, of course, if – I mean, I, I don't even know if I could give it a 0.1% chance of them going to the Pac-12 given the current state of things. Now, prior to USC and UCLA's departure, eh, it might have had a 5% chance. Now it's like well under 1%. So I'm not on here saying that – I think Notre Dame could end up in the Pac-12 one day. I just think that that's a big domino. That's kind of the biggest domino that is left to fall that we don't know about right now, in addition to the Pac-12 media deal, of course, and the grant of rights and everything like that. And now this ACC thing too, I suppose. But the biggest individual school domino that hasn't fallen yet is Notre Dame. And once that does, if they choose the Big Ten, I wonder if the Big Ten doesn't go on the offensive once again and say, okay, we want to go back into aggressive expansion mode, a la the Joker in the Dark Knight with uh, aggressive expansion and such. So I can do a better Joker impression than that. But again, we did we did a lot of singing and yelling at the wedding. So um, anyway, great question, though. Fa- a, a, fa- a fascinating one. Another one came in. Uh, somebody asked me, I apologize for not being able to give you credit because I forgot to write it down because sometimes that happens, but you know who you are out there, about the possibility of, HBO, well, okay, formerly HBO Max. Now it's rebranded as Max, which I, I'm convinced at some levels, just like a marketing ploy, you know, like when ABC Family rebranded to Freeform, it's like the, the content is still the same. You're now just Max, but why would you take away the HBO live? I don't know. It's just one, it's one of those things. But so the, the idea about Max being a a partner for for the Pac-12 in their upcoming media rights deal. Now, I don't rule this out entirely because as I've discussed here on the show, as everydayers know, I'm not ruling anything out at this point in time because I don't think anybody really knows anything, what's going down, what's about to happen, and what we are about to to see or when we are even going to see any of this sort of stuff, right? And I'm done trying to, you know, read the tea leaves as to when all of that is going to go down. But 
I don't think that's an impossible partnership, that being Max and, and, and the Pac-12 for, for a couple of reasons. And, and the first one is not pertaining to Built Bars and how delicious they are. But here's something you should know. Built Bars are delicious and they give you everything you need in a protein bar. They taste great. They are super healthy. They're covering 100% real chocolate and they have a bunch of great flavors. Just 130 calories four grams of sugar, a whopping 17 grams of protein. I was golfing the other day prior to the wedding and I got hungry in the middle of the round. You know what I did? I ate a built bar. You know what I did? I took my friend's money on the golf course because that's kind of how I roll out there. So they've got a bunch of great flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, cookies and cream, mint brownies, my personal favorite. It was coconut almond that got me through the other day. Guess what? They all get the job done. You can go to your local Walmart, go to the pharmacy section, get a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puff. You can go to Sam's Club, get a 13-bar box with hip flavors, brownie batter puff, and churro puff. Or you can go to Built.com, get your specialty flavors. Walmart, Sam's Club, Built.com. Do so. Get your next order of Built Bars. Thank me later. Really nursing the throat back. Anyway, Uh, so this question about Max is an interesting one because – Max has expressed a desire, or so it has been reported, to get into the live sports broadcasting space. And this goes back to what is becoming the age-old question, how valuable is streaming going to be now compared to the future with regards to covering live sports? Because everybody wants live sports, you know, in the uh in the streaming world or in the you know re- recording world or whatnot, DVR world, TiVo, TiVo and such. That, I think, had an effect on the broadcasting industry in that people were able to skip over ads. And so then streaming came along and said, well, rather than people fast forwarding, why don't you just pay us and then we'll just give you something that doesn't have any ads at all or very limited ads. And there's levels, you know, like they have that on Peacock uh, and, and such. So like I watched the John Wick movies for the first time. Really fun, by the way. If you haven't seen them, I watched the John Wick movies the first time. And it's like you go in there, you watch, and then there's a 15 second ad, like, I don't know, four times a film or whatnot. I have a paid version of Peacock. I think if I paid a little bit more, then I could not have that for those movies. But like, I, it didn't, it didn't bother me very much. But so anyway, I think we all understand roughly how, uh, how, the, how the streaming models work and such. And I, I don't throw out Max as, someone who could be involved because they've stated their desire to get into the live uh, broadcasting space because the way that you can then sell advertising is much, much different and is widely seen, I think, is more valuable because having people watch live is better than having people watching later when they will, you know, leave the room for a commercial or not, you know, when you're not watching live, like that dynamic, I, I think is impactful there. So I understand why they want to be in the live sports broadcasting space. And I have long speculated here on the show about the idea of, hey, is one of the entities that will end up being involved with the Pac-12, is it someone we haven't heard of? Because a lot of big deals in sports and in broadcasting have come kind of out of nowhere and have operated in silence. There was nothing about USC and UCLA until USC and UCLA announced they were leaving. Texas and Oklahoma, right? I mean, there may have been tiny little rumblings, but... A lot of stuff, you know, uh, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George to the Clippers or Kevin Durant to the Warriors, like all this stuff. Sometimes it gets kept under wraps and then all of a sudden a move is made and stuff is uh, being worked on behind the scenes. And we'll see how much that ends up being true for the Pac-12 media deal. But could they, in theory, be a, a silent media partner at this point in time or someone they're talking with? Yeah, I think it's absolutely possible because you don't need to leak that if you're the Pac-12. 
and continue to uh, fuel the, the the speculation fires. But then if you're if you're Max, you probably want to announce that all at one time and not be seen as like one foot in, one foot out, or you weren't able to land this deal or anything like that. So, uh, you know, people care in, especially in the media world, about PR and perception and whatnot and when you want to announce things. All that stuff definitely matters. So I think they're an interesting idea. Their, their goal, their stated goal, they're, uh, I believe in like, depends on, I, I found a bunch of different numbers on how many subscribers they actually have globally, but it's in like the 70 to 80, 90 million range. But their goal by 2025 is to have 150 million subscribers there. And this push that they're doing, you know, the rebrand is obviously to try and boost their subscriber base. So they're obviously trying to get themselves into a, a space where they're in the media space in a significant way and they become a household familiar name that people feel they really, really need to have. So I, I think it's interesting. I don't think it would be that different than, you know, working with Apple or working with Amazon. You'd have the same potential hurdles. You'd have the same potential upside. Like it would be a streamer. And if they were willing to shell out a bunch of money, here's the other thing that that, that could make it work. Max is not currently in the um the live sports broadcasting space if they were to come in and make a big offer that the pac-12 you know in theory wasn't able to refuse because it was just so much money they could get a lot of content over there and when you're trying to make a splash or you're trying to dip your toe in the water on something at some level the thing you need most is content and so they could come in if they wanted to because clearly there's, you know, still some level of open bidding going on for the Pac-12's uh, next media rights contract. You can clearly come in and get a chunk of the content to kind of jumpstart your entrance into the space of sports broadcasting and saying, okay, we're going into this. We're not going to just, you know, pick up a game here or there. We want to be a major player. And if they do want to do that, which... Those are the indications right now. Yeah, maybe they could do it. I, I I could I could absolutely see it. I don't have any inside info on that, but the question was asked. I thought it was reasonable. I think it would be interesting. So uh, anyway, rolling along here. Uh, this uh, next subject came about via a uh, a Twitter thread that, that took place mostly while I was on the golf course, but then I came back to it and I was like, oh, there's some interesting, interesting thoughts in here. It's from DC Ute um, and somebody else. Um, again, sorry. I was, I usually write that stuff down. I honestly don't know why I didn't today. Like I wrote out my whole prep sheet and I just didn't put that on. There. Anyway. So the, the discussion was around, was, was surrounding G5 schools and whether or not adding them is a good idea for your conference. Cause the PAC 12, in my view is imminent of adding San Diego state and SMU. I think those are the best available options as we've long talked about here on the show, but there are those out there who feel that, well, you know, it's not where uh, it's not a position of power. It's not a valuable addition. It's not where college football is headed. It's, you know, not a great perception. You're becoming a G5 conference. I, I hear all of those particular arguments, but he, here's what fundamentally you have to remember about conferences that go to the G5 level to, you know, expand themselves when other schools leave, that being the Big 12 and the Pac-12. It's not a position where they would like to be. They're making the best worst option or decision rather is, is, is the better word there. They're making the best worst decision that they can because 
if you're the Pac-12 and the Big 12, right? Think back to the Big 12, which was a 10-team conference prior to the arrival of these new four, by the way, and they're going to be a 16 or a 14-team conference this year for a season. But they were a 10-team conference with Oklahoma, Texas, and everybody else. When you lose those two schools and you then bring in four, are you going to be able to immediately replace the value competitively of Oklahoma and Texas? No, but operating as an eight-team conference is not super feasible because you need to have a sufficient lineup of games. I mean, you can't even play a full conference slate if you only have eight teams, right? Ten is the minimum if you're going to play. I guess nine would technically be the minimum if everybody were to play everybody and you did an eight-game conference schedule like those cowards in the uh, ACC and the SEC. But – you don't have a lot of options at that point. Like you have to add. So I don't think the Pac-12 needs it. There was a report from John Canzano a while back that the um, Pac-12 CEOs approved the conference to explore anywhere from two to four expansion options, right? Well, actually, I think the number was zero to four. Like they could add anywhere in there. I don't think they need to go up to 14, but I do think there's some inherent value of having more teams there, even if they're being added from the G5 level. Because the downside is, yeah, it cuts into your media rights deal a little bit because they don't bring in the requisite value now. But in the future, they can. And Utah is the best example of this. Imagine if the Pac-12 had never added schools. If Colorado and Utah, and look, Colorado's added almost nothing to the conference football-wise. That is, of course, changing with Coach Prime at this point in time. But since they joined in 2011 with Utah, they have not done anything of note aside from one good season where they got to the Pac-12 championship game, and, and Washington won that game pretty handily in 2016. So if you'd never added Colorado and you never added Utah, where would the conference be right now? It would be an eight-team conference. You would, again, just from a quantity standpoint, because you're not playing teams twice like you do in basketball. You don't do that in football. You would be forced to go and make those additions. But then you wouldn't have the remaining brand of Utah football, which is currently really, really strong, lest we forget that they're the two-time defending conference champions. So when you add a G5 school, Everybody wants the immediacy and they look at what happens now like, oh, it dilutes the media deal. Yeah, at the start, a little. But Utah is now a full media rights earning member, just like everybody else in the conference. They weren't that at first, but they are now. They weren't a Pac-12 contender at first, but they are now. So you have to think about what they can become. So... There, there, there's more to, more to get to on that front because I, I see the argument about the G5. I don't agree with it, but about G5 additions not being worth it because they, they can bring, I think, more than than people think. And FanDuel can bring you everything that you need gambling-wise here during the NBA playoffs. Right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't 
win. They've got great promotions every day. They got they have a safe, secure, super easy to use app. You can get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet all the playoff action than America's number one sports book. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. Get a no sweat first bet up to a thousand dollars. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. Okay, so on, on the G5 front, when you add these schools, they can become valuable members of your conference, right? Like the Pac-12, and the other thing too is for a school like San Diego State, there are non-athletic reasons as to why the conference wants to be down there. Alumni, television value, those are very tangible, real calculations for for league presidents and for George Klyovkov, the commissioner as well. But I don't think there's as much downside as there is upside to adding the, the, these schools. But going back to my original point, it's not where the conferences would like to be. They don't want to be in a position where in order to just have, you know, a sufficient amount of content to run like a fully functioning league, they go and add schools from, from the G5 level. Now, Utah has worked out really well. It was, you know, one G5, one Power 5. That'd be a fine mix for me because there are a lot of G5s that – you know, can take the step forward. Look at TCU, for instance, right? If you held that same mindset, TCU would not have just made the national championship in the Big 12 because schools are ready at different points in time to compete at a certain level. But you have to think about what they can become, not just what they are and what they do in in the short term. You have to think about what can they be in five, six, even 10 years that make you a more valuable conference, that make you a more competitive conference, that make you a more appealing conference for you know a, a variety of entities, whether that's uh, media rights executives, recruits, coaches, whoever, right? So I, I think that that's the appeal of adding those schools who, you know, it, it's it's not like they're expected to come in and compete for conference championships right away. But if you find the, if you make the right selections, the way the Big 12 and the Pac-12 have done, frankly, you can find programs that can one day be the flagship school of your conference in a given season. TCU just went to the national championship game. Lincoln Riley never did that. Think about that for a moment. TCU did this past year what Lincoln Riley and Oklahoma were never able to accomplish and what no Big 12 team had accomplished since Texas in like 2012. And that's make a national championship game. So I think the, the the growth that these schools can undergo, you do have to give it time. And I get that people are not super patient nowadays, but if the Pac-12 and Big 12 had their way, would they be in this situation? No. But it's the situation that they're in, and there's no other option. Like the Big 12, when they added those four schools to get back to 12, they didn't have another option. They can't sit at eight teams their choices were disband or expand. So if those are your two choices as a conference commissioner, you're going to choose survival. Are the Big 12 and Pac-12 and maybe the ACC a little bit, does it feel like they're getting left behind from the other conferences, either the Big 10 and the SEC? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But here's the other thing too, with, with, with adding a group of five school. If in 10 to 15 years, college football consolidates further and you have an AFC, NFC type setup where you just have two major conferences, which please don't ever let that happen, except it's probably going to happen. Well, 
I don't know about probably the world is very unpredictable, but it feels like that's a real possibility. If that happens one day, you won't need to worry if you're a fan of one of the you know current and now long tenured power five institutions about the other G5 schools who are you know trying to to ride the coattails and such into that conference because the Big Ten and the SEC are only going to add the brands that they want to. So if you, if everything starts to consolidate more and more, those conferences can just not extend invitations to the smaller G5 schools that aren't aren't as established and are new to the Power 5 ranks and say, yeah, we just want these over here. So, you know, San Diego State, let's just, uh, just as a hypothetical to play this out. Let's say San Diego State and SMU get added here in the coming weeks to the Pac-12, which we all hope that happens, but, you know, who knows when that, when that could actually take place. If in, let's say they sign a grant of rights that's six years, but then in three years, the Big Ten and the SEC decide to go shopping again. And they say, we want Oregon, Washington, Stanford, Cal, Utah, and Colorado. And the SEC says, we'll take Florida State, Clemson, Miami, uh, maybe like North, North Carolina, somebody like that. You all come down here and the conferences fall apart. Those G5 schools would just get left behind or the former G5 schools, and some current Power 5 schools would certainly get left behind, which is why I don't want that to happen, why it stinks. But I think that's the way it would probably uh, play out on that front. So interesting conversation. If you have more thoughts and questions, by all means, hit me up at smalls underscore 55 or at LO underscore Pac-12. DMs and mentions uh, wide open. Bud, by the way, asks this question, uh, which is an interesting one. Uh, is there another Deion Sanders type coach who could similarly energize a latent football power school? The answer in short is, is no in the style with which Deion Sanders is doing it. So Lance Leipold at Kansas is the name that came uh, in, into my mind when, when thinking about how best to answer this question. Because Lance Leipold, before Jalen Daniels got hurt, had Kansas at 5-0. and College game day was at Kansas for the, forget which game it was, but it was there, which doesn't happen. It's Kansas football. So if you start winning at the requisite level and you have big-time games and get a couple big-time players and get the most out of the guys you do have, then anybody can, you know, inject energy into a program. I mean, literally, and Rob Riggle, who showed up for game day, was the celebrity guest picker, was talking about how, man, Kansas is currently at the center of the college football world right now. Well, Colorado wasn't prior to Deion Sanders getting there, and Deion's done it all with the offseason stuff. But if you have the sort of season like Kansas was having, and then Jalen Daniels unfortunately got hurt, and they went one and six in in their next seven games, and it was an absolute bummer. I think it might have been TCU that they were playing. Um, I, I I forget. But anyway, so th- there there's more than one way to to do that, right? It's like swinging a golf club. There's there's not a one right way to do it. I was watching the PGA Championship over the weekend. Every guy's got a different swing. They all are insanely good and really talented but they've got different swings and there's different ways to go about it. And there's nobody like Deion Sanders who could generate that sort of hype just in the off season with, you know, his charisma and the, you know, access that he provides and everything like that. But if you make a hire at a school that is not a historic football power, Washington state, for instance, right? Mike Leach at Washington state, another great example, college game day, 
The only way they ever mentioned Washington State was old Crimson making however many, you know, consecutive appearances so far. I think they're in the 200s by now. And Mike Leach got game day up to Pullman for the Oregon and, and Washington State game many, many years ago. I believe it was 2018. So you don't have to go and just be flashy and have all this, uh, you know, off the field substance and whatnot. If you deliver those sorts of results, you can make a program, as long as you're at the Power 5 level, as relevant as anybody. Because Kansas had been a bottom dweller for a long, long time. Washington State had been a bottom dweller for a long, long time. And those guys worked in silence. They put their heads down, got to work, established an identity, won football games, and then they were starting to have that magical season. It will get on people's radars every single time. Great question, though. Appreciate everyone listening. I will see you next time. And until then, have a wonderful rest of your day.